This recording has been produced by Christchurch Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. I'm going to continue to worship the Lord through the public reading and study of His Word. So these are our lessons for the first Sunday in Advent. The first reading is taken from the book of Isaiah, chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amoz, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains, and he shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations, and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. O house of Jacob, come and let us walk in the light of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second reading is taken from the book of Romans, chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. And do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. A gospel portion is from the gospel according to Matthew, chapter 24. We will follow an ancient Christian tradition. Please rise as we honor the teaching of Jesus the Messiah. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and given in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, and the other left. Watch, therefore. For you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And Father in heaven, we come 
to sit at your feet and truly at the feet of your son, uh, Jesus the Messiah. Pray that uh, today, by his spirit that is amongst us, he will be our teacher. And Lord, as we ask before, we ask again. We do pray that we will be encouraged, that we will be uh, blessed and built up. Yet most of all, Lord, we pray that you'll challenge us uh, with these words of scripture. And we ask this uh, for your sake and for the sake of our own souls. Amen. So as I mentioned to you before, uh, just before I got to, had to eat some humble pie, that's what I was doing back there, <coughs> eating humble pie. I told you we're singing a song uh, that's about the second coming, but you know, in my old age, my memory is getting dim. And apparently, Roger, we're singing that song at the end, are we not? Yeah, so it's at the end. So the end is the beginning, the beginning is the end. And in any event, you've been warned uh, about the final, uh, about the final hymn. So we begin uh, our time of preparation for celebrating, for remembering uh, the birth of Jesus. There's the traditional church calendar, which I think is very useful here, and it's a good guide um, for us even in the time in which we live. The first Sunday, there are four Sundays in Advent, the first Sunday uh, is always going to be uh, about uh, the coming of the Lord, the second coming of the Lord. The second Sunday of every month uh, will be the message and ministry of John the Baptist. And the final two Sundays will uh, prepare us uh, with a nativity story. But um, in the wisdom of the early church, it was decided before we think about the, second, uh, the first coming, let's remind ourselves of the second coming and of all that entails. But uh, in all honesty, thinking about that subject or preaching about that subject, especially here in Jerusalem, uh, or perhaps anywhere in the world, is not uh, something that's very easy. In fact, it's become very difficult and even challenging. And the problem is the extremes. And we do have um, very often two extremes, uh, and they're both uh, very pronounced. Uh, especially around here in Jerusalem, we have people, many people, with apocalyptic fever. Um, they're burning up, yes, uh, they're in danger uh, because they are sitting on the edge of their seats, waiting in expectation for the second coming to begin at any minute. Any moment, Jesus could come back. And that is certainly uh, theologically true. Uh, but they're convinced it's going to happen in the next five minutes. And uh, they're scouring the heavens looking for signs. And they're reading the newspapers looking for signs. And they're on YouTube 10 hours a day looking for signs. And they're getting prophecy updates <coughs> and newsletters. Yes? And so if we talk about this subject, then it might encourage or even feed the wrong thing. Because 
the problem with that kind of uh, radical orientation, the difficulty with that is uh, first and foremost, it creates a certain passivity. Many people who are expecting the coming of the Lord, they're waiting for the, the economic collapse. They're waiting for the great apostasy. They're waiting uh, for the, the society to become more and more immoral, uh, more divorce, more abortion, more drug addiction. And instead of being active partners with the Holy Spirit and the redemptive program, of Jesus of Nazareth, many people are sitting, folding their hands or sitting on their thumbs, and they say to themselves, that's the way it's supposed to be. That's the way it's, nothing we can do about it. And that kind of passivity is, or that kind of, well, what you might say, um, pessimism, theological pessimism, cultural pessimism, spiritual pessimism, flies in contrast to everything that Jesus taught. Jesus taught and still instructs us, yes, that his kingship is continuing to expand and is continuing to redeem and touch the lives of people. And uh, until the Father tells Jesus to return, certainly we should never uh, enter into that kind of uh, we should never entertain that kind of pessimism. And of course, the other problem tends to be that um, people looking for signs, uh, looking, uh, looking here, looking there, also, many people throughout history have been so easily deceived in their probably good-natured enthusiasm and their honesty and their, uh, and their love to want to see Jesus return to this very broken, dysfunctional world. And so, what do we have? We have um, a whole long history, maybe 1,800 years of Christians disgracing ourselves by predicting and making a big public spectacle of it. Yes, Nero is the Antichrist, and uh, Constantine is the Antichrist, and the Holy Roman Emperor is the Antichrist. Roman Catholics in the Middle Ages thought the Pope was the Antichrist, long before Protestant fundamentalists came up uh, with this idea. Um, we have Catholics, I think, who said Martin Luther was the Antichrist, and Henry Kissinger is the Antichrist, and John Lennon is the Antichrist, and. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And people have made great uh, noises about this. They've made great predictions. And most of them have not come true at all. And it's brought nothing but shame and humiliation, or uh, let's just say shame, to the name of Jesus. And now when many people stand up and they predict such things, um, the world laughs and mocks, yes, at, uh, at this really essential and important truth. Jesus will return. But why are we dragging the name of Jesus through the mud? And the very same people who make prediction after prediction somehow are never held uh, to account, you know, of 
They're like, it's like Teflon. They make a prediction, Jesus doesn't come back. They say, this is gonna happen, that's gonna happen according to the scripture. And consequently, they're proven wrong. But five years later, three years later, they're back making more predictions or different predictions or saying, usually what they say is I got my timing wrong. I got my calculations wrong. And this is, this is common, yes? So um, we have a passivity. Uh, we have um, not more than a passivity, people who oftentimes sit on their hands, but oftentimes people are looking in the wrong direction. My dear friends, the focus is not simply that Jesus is coming back. The focus is that Jesus is here and he's active. Yes, the presence of the Lord is amongst you. We're gonna spend a whole year reading Matthew. We're gonna spend a whole year reading this gospel. Where do we find Jesus? We don't have to look in the heavens and look in the sky. Matthew makes it clear. The theme, maybe the sub-theme of his book, is written here on this communion table. It's Emmanuel, that Jesus is with us. Yes, and where is, when is he with us? He's with us when people are baptizing and teaching and making disciples. He's with us when we come to this table and have bread and wine. He's with us, where two or th- with us when two or three are gathered in his name. Yes? We don't have to look very far. We don't have to constantly be focusing on the Mount of Olives. Now there's another problem. The problem of millions and uh, perhaps this is even a greater, a greater extreme, but one that is very common. We have millions of people uh, who are Christians and who are believers. Uh, who love the Lord, who go to Bible studies, who um, trying to do what Jesus has asked them to do. Yes. And if you ask them about the coming judgment or his return, they yawn and they say, ho-hum. You know, it really has nothing to do with me. It's been going on for, we've been waiting for this for 2,000 years. And people ignore the teachings of Jesus found in this passage. And what happens is that we have a, an entire uh, Christian subculture, more than a Christian subculture, and, and virtually every denomination where people are self-absorbed, self-focused, and don't have a clue as to what's going on around them, spiritually, culturally, or politically. Oh, they might complain about the left wing or they might complain about the right. They might complain about some trend in society. But they're clueless. They're clueless. And they might give a few dollars to charity. Yes, a few pounds, whatever. And they might do this or that. But they're not living, right, and the, in the, in they're not living in the expectation. And they're not living in a way that Jesus has asked all of us to live. Now, none of us know when he's coming back. We don't know. But Jesus has some words of, of, of admonition for us. And these admonitions, this, this is ba- basically, he says that uh, he does not want us to be complacent. Don't be complacent. This is an essential part of his teaching. 
Don't walk around self-satisfied. Don't walk around totally uh, being um, focused on oneself and on one's problems. And the passage that we just read is very interesting. Um, Jesus says, when he returns, people will be eating and drinking. Uh, They'll be and marrying just as they were in the flood, uh, just before the flood. And the flood came unexpectedly and swept them away. Now, what does it mean? It means that, uh, you know, many people are engaged in the legitimate business of life, meaning life overwhelms us. We need to um, pay the bills, file our taxes, take our kids to school, um, try to, um, uh, you know, earn a living, whatever. This becomes a big part of life. In fact, this, this part of life is what so totally, uh, sometimes, oftentimes very small, so takes us away from something that's bigger and something that's more important. And Jesus says, he says, uh, not only don't, not to be complacent, he says in uh, previous verses, don't be deceived. Do not be deceived. This, now, this applies for those who are always looking for a sign, always looking for, his, uh, always looking for uh, a clue as to who the Antichrist will be or when the rapture will occur. And it also, it also applies to those, again, millions and millions of people who have become very apathetic, who have no, um, certainly no future expectation. Many times people are so busy with the everyday issues of life, they forget they're going to, we forget we're even going to die. And we forget that we will stand before a judge who will ask us to give an account of ourselves. Yes? Don't be deceived, Jesus says. And Jesus also says that don't be terrified. Now, it's hard to say this sometimes for some of us to hear these words because many of us fortunately live in a society where we're well-fed and we're well-paid and we're rich in comparison to most people in the world. And don't, be, don't confuse being broke with being poor. Okay? Many of us may not have money, but we're not poor. Many of us are well taken care of. Many of us even have the, this incredible luxury of deciding which career path we we're going to pursue, what we're going to do, you know, uh, when we finish university. That is not that option isn't available to probably half of the people of this world, but it's available to us. And so, how do these words, especially to to those of us again who are well off and well fed? and well-protected, and don't know the reality of war, or at least very often. War is something that's far away. And by the way, we can be grateful for all this, not condemning uh, our societies or condemning us for being well-off. But it is a fine line between a blessing and a curse. These are all blessings, but they also can be curses. They also can be... They could, it can uh, bring about the flourishing of human life, and it also can bring about, if we're not careful, spiritual death, which often happens with affluence. 
We have too much affluence or too much time on our hands. So Jesus says, don't be terrified. But for many of us, what are we terrified of? We're not expecting a war and we're not expecting a famine. But again, the words of Jesus do apply to us. Because here in the passage that we just read, Jesus, you know, really reminds us that life doesn't always go as according to plan. That things aren't, um, uh, things aren't the way we, are, we necessarily envision them. And that whether we live in Bangladesh or whether we live in Melbourne, Australia, that all of us will uh, be confronted with things that are unexpected. And many of us will be confronted with, uh, many of us may be confronted with issues of health. Many of us may be confronted with issues of, uh, of uh, struggling with finances. Uh, we live in a very, still we live in a very precarious world where any one of us could walk outside the gates of Christchurch and a cement truck could fall on us. In any event, each one of us is soon going to die. And we're soon going to have to, again, stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and we have to give an account of ourselves. Now, that kind of teaching is up largely absent from the church. But if we're spending a year in Matthew's gospel, virtually 120 times in this gospel, that's the gospel we'll be reading from during the upcoming year, Jesus talks about judgment. Almost half of the times that the word judgment is mentioned, it's mentioned in connection with the final judgment, the judgment uh, that each one of us, each one of us must face. And so, again, the words of Jesus, don't be terrified. Yes, don't be deceived. Again, by whether it's by our own hearts or our own comfort, or don't be deceived by uh, the way we're, we're running after, looking for signs, saying the Messiah is here or he's there or he's coming, he's coming next week or he's coming next month. And don't be terrified. In fact, what Jesus says in all of this, he says, be prepared. Be prepared for anything, right? What does it mean to be prepared? What's practical about all this? And again, I don't think when Jesus talks about being prepared, he's talking about scanning the newspapers to such an extent, yes, that we are obsessed with every little sign. Because Jesus says, you won't know the hour or the day in which I'm coming. You won't know the hour or the day in which I'm coming. And really, this, in order to be prepared, there's something that each one of us has to come to uh, in a way, we need to come to it to accept, or we need to come uh, to uh, to uh, we need to have a certain reality. There needs to be a certain reality in our lives, yes. And that is, how can you be prepared and yet see signs of it? How can you not know the day and the time, yes, and see signs, yes, of His coming? How can we? continue to live daily life, which is sanctified in the scripture. I'm not going to minimize uh, the work that we do, because certainly in the, in the Hebrew Bible, as well as in the New Testament, our work, even if it's secular work, can be understood, actually should be understood as worship. 
Yes, this word in Hebrew for work is the same word for worship. Yes, avodah. So our work is a form of worship. And we're told in Timothy, um, it says, it says uh, I want you to pray. This is 1 Timothy 2. I want you to pray for kings and those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. And that seems to fly in the contradiction of Jesus saying terrible things are going to happen. Yes, be prepared for these terrible things. And here Timothy is saying, pray for peaceful and quiet lives. Not, not actually so that we can be fat and happy. Yes, eat chocolate and you know, have big Christmas parties. But so, he says, uh, so that the gospel may go forward. Yes, so that uh, people make, so he says, uh, this is good and pleases God our Savior. He wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. Or Paul says in, in Colossians, and all that you do, do everything, you know, uh, with thanksgiving. So daily life, nor the, the business of raising children, paying a mortgage, keeping a job, on one hand has a sanctity to it, and on the other hand, yes, it can be the very thing that leads us astray. And so we have to live in a tension, and we have to live in a contradiction, or you can call it a paradox, or even a mystery. It's not one or the other, but it's both. And dear brothers and sisters, if we can't live in mystery, and if we can't live in paradox, we're gonna find it very hard to live the, uh, a life as a disciple. As we've said more than once in this congregation, is God holy and far away, or is he close by? friendly and intimate. Do we choose him or does he choose us? Is Jesus a lamb or is Jesus a lion? Now, if you want to think in a very narrow way or you want the assurance that Jesus is only a lamb and he's not a lion, or you want to the assurance that God is a God of love and that he will never judge people, or may never condemn people to, to a bad place in eternity, then you're gonna have a hard time being a disciple of Jesus. And not only are you gonna have a hard time being a disciple of Jesus, you might find yourself being easily deceived. That's where bad teaching and heresy comes from, is when we take one part of the truth and we ad adopt it, we make it our truth. God is love. Love, love, love is all you need. Actually, Jesus didn't say that. John Lennon said that. <laughs> he said he was more popular than Jesus, but that's proven not to be true. Yes? God would never judge. God would never condemn. I don't know about that. Both are in the scripture. And how do, 
how do we somehow justify both of these truths and both of these realities? We cannot. We have to live and be faithful and testify that both are true. We cannot always fully, totally explain God. So how do we prepare? And the way that I think, I believe we prepare is that Jesus has told us uh, in the following chapter, in Matthew 25, he gives us four parables. We're not going to uh, speak very long about these four parables, but these four parables in each case give us some uh, words, some instructions for uh, uh, for the um, so we have we first um, have a parable yes of uh, the ten virgins and um, this nope we need to go back a little bit actually it starts in 24 yes so how to be practical about this without walking around hysterical without walking around terrified, without walking around and finding ourselves easily to be easily deceived. Basically for Matthew, his understanding or the understanding that he presents here through the words of Jesus is that it's our obedience. It's a regular, yes, discipline of obeying that actually enables us to be prepared for anything that could happen to us. Whether it is the second coming of the Lord or whether it is a, a war that breaks out and we don't expect it. Whether it's an epidemic or a famine or the news that our grandchild has leukemia and doesn't have long to live. Yes, Jesus is teaching us just live in a state of spiritual readiness. It doesn't have to be hard, yes, but uh, it is something that takes a certain discipline. And we have these parables. Um, the day and the hour, um, Jesus, well, in the passage we read that uh, Jesus talks about two men being in the field, one is taken, one is left behind. Um, he talks about a thief breaking into a house so things will happen to us that we're not necessarily prepared for. Again, we don't have to be fearful, but instead we do, we do, have, to be, uh, we do have to be prepared. And the parables that he gives us, uh, he gives us a parable about an invitation to a wedding banquet. And that invitation to the wedding banquet teaches us the following. It's not enough to say, yes, I'm coming to the wedding banquet. You have to come to the wedding banquet prepared. Yes, it's not a question, again, it's not a question of saying yes to Jesus. Uh, it's a, it, there's more to it than that. And you may remember the parable where people come, but they're not dressed properly. And then they're thrown out. And then there's a parable of the, two, of the, of, uh, of the rich king, or the, sorry, the, of the king who gives his servants some talents. He gives them some money. And then he goes away. Uh, and then he comes back and he says, all right, what did you do with the money I gave you? And two of his three servants, motivated by love, go out and use what 
the king gave them in order to earn, uh, to earn more. One servant, motivated by fear, doesn't do anything with the money. So a way of being prepared is asking the question, what are we doing with the gifts that God gave us? Are those gifts spent totally on ourselves, used for ourselves, used for our own comfort, even used for our own survival? Or do we actually use these for the Lord in ministry? And then there's, there is, and especially for those of us who are affluent, there's a parable of the sheep and the goats. Those of us who are well taken care of and well fed. Again, one of the ways that we prepare, stay in a state of readiness, stay in a state of preparation, is that uh, we minister to those, yes, who, have, uh, who are not fortunate, who may be oppressed politically or uh, culturally. We, we minister to those uh, who are in prison, those who are uh, starving, those um, who are sick. And again, that keeps the focus t- uh, from totally falling upon ourselves. Totally falling upon ourselves. It is not a sin, as Paul says, and Paul mentions in Philippians chapter 2, to care for our needs. And there's no condemnation in this. But there's also, Paul says in that chapter, he says, you know, that we should not only look after our needs, but we need to look after the needs of others. Now, of course, there's other things that we can do to stay prepared. And one thing is Bible study. But it's a question of not just going to a Bible study, but the question is, how do we read the Bible? I was talking to someone a few weeks ago. Uh, he, was, he was telling me, in his particular church in the United States, he said the whole congregation, many of the congregation, they go to Bible study. Many of the congregation, they show up for church every Sunday. But he said, like I mentioned to you before, their whole life, their whole week is spent, you know, caring for their needs. So we can read the Bible, but we should never read the Bible to, uh, in a way that's simply going to um, bless us or to make us feel better or this is the book in which we find personal happiness. If we read the Bible with that grid or those lenses, um, we will surely end up reading it in the wrong way. Yes, we read the scripture in order to carry out the commands of Jesus the Messiah. Yes, and to live the life that he lived and that our, so that our lives can reflect uh, his particular life. And as we read the scripture, my brothers and sisters, I would hope, okay, that we would see the following. That um, the scripture commands us to live in a certain way. That it commands us, for example, to live a life of forgiveness and not to carry a grudge or to be bitter. If we're holding on to a grudge, we refuse to forgive, that we're living in a state of being unprepared. The kind of scripture commands us to be generous. If we're being tight-fisted, or we don't have enough faith to be generous and give, we're living, in a, we're living in a way in which we're unprepared. 
And all of us should consider carefully, prayerfully studying the Bible. What are those things that we're doing? Yes, what are those? Maybe it's our addictions. Maybe um, it's our prejudices. Maybe um, it is our refusal to obey and small things. What are those things, yeah, especially sins that we're holding on to? Yes. That should something happen, yes, we'd find ourselves trying to uh, make amends as soon as possible. We all should live as if we're going to die tomorrow. Yes, we all should live in a way that we can appear before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and not be ashamed and not be embarrassed. Yes. Finally, there's, I think, the, there's prayer. And Jesus, when he's in the garden, tells his disciples, in order not to fall into temptation, pray. So I think maintaining a prayer life is very essential. But again, what we pray for is important. And you know, it's very interesting, the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples wasn't about I, me, me, mine. It was about uh, us. And uh, he, Jesus teaches us to pray our Father. And he teaches us to pray, forgive us for our sins. Not just my sins, but for, for those who are around me. And lead us, us, not into temptation. I think so often our spiritual life is about my relationship with God and it's about my temptation and my victory, uh, you know, and God speaking to me. The New Testament doesn't know that kind of spirituality. It's about us, yes? Lead us not into temptation. And it's when we pray in that way. By the way, this is the plural in the Lord's Prayer is very Jewish because Jews, always the so-called Lord's Prayer, the disciples' prayer is a Jewish prayer. And Jesus took these principles, Jewish principles, and taught, us, taught it to us in the Lord's Prayer. This teaches us, is when we pray this way, it helps us from, it stops us from becoming, yes, self-centered, yes, self, self-absorbed, it enables us, to, helps us to see what's going on around us, yes, for good or for evil. And, okay, and it allows us, okay, or prompts us really um, to be involved yeah, with what, um, with what uh, is happening in the, in the lives of others. Now, if you think, yeah, that the prayer is saying, your kingdom come, your will be done, meaning one day God's kingdom will come to earth. It's actually telling us that Jesus is present and that his kingship is breaking out amongst us when we're doing his will. Yes, when we're doing his will, we're praying for others, acting on behalf of others. Yes, okay, this is a way in which we prepare, keep ourselves prepared for any eventuality. Yes, for the eventual, for being available to the Lord for ministry, for being available no matter what disaster or bad news falls upon us. We won't be terrified. Yes, we won't be deceived. Um, for being prepared for 
the day of our death, yes, or the coming of the Lord. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.